This podcast is sponsored by Kulabula, creators of websites, animation, and digital art. To get a 10% discount, go to kulabula.com and put in the discount code SPEAKING. Welcome to the Speaking Podcast. You can find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. We're also on BitChute and YouTube as Speaking Podcast. I also have the Awakening Podcast, the Learn Polish Podcast, Meditation Podcast, and the Crypto Podcast, and all can be found on RoyCollin.com. Today, my guest, please welcome Sam Tiara. Did I? Yes. <laughs> I got it right. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me here, and I look forward to sharing some insights with your audience today. Yeah our conversation so you might let the audience know who's Sam. Well the easiest way for me to describe myself is there are five things that guide and direct me in life. Servant leadership, story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, and community do-gooder. Those have enabled me to support individuals in life and career, organizations and teams and nonprofits. It's also helped to build they're the comfort of the communication skills for individuals as well. But it's enabled me to become a speaker, storyteller, writer, and a blogger, an educator, as well as an entrepreneur, mentorship, mentor coach, problem solver, and like I said, community activator. So all of those really makes up the foundation of who Sam is. Very good. And I actually like the nonprofit because I had read that it's, it's like 45 or more than 45 that you've been involved in because like... A lot of the speakers, some of them, whether they're motivation speakers, and they don't get involved in that. Sometimes it's just about the career. And I love when I see a speaker that's actually helping a nonprofit because sometimes, you know, they have a great mission, but they're not actually able to get the message out. Well, and, and to that point, uh, what I find is that uh, this is where that whole servant leadership and story sharing comes in. I feel that I've been given a gift of being able to speak and to share at conferences. And oftentimes what you'll find is that nonprofits have a budget, but never anything that is as rich or significant as corporations. And they feel, you know, we'd really like you to come in and speak and share all of this experience on how to make nonprofits entrepreneurial. But Sam, we can't afford your budget. I'm like, the budget is the secondary piece. The first piece is getting this message across. How can we make your nonprofit much better. And equally at the same time, teaching at the university, I brought in nonprofits as live cases for my students to work on to gain valuable hands-on experiences. And the nonprofits benefited, the students benefited, and I just found that merging them together was just a brilliant thing to do. That's an excellent idea. So, you know, getting down to the lecturing as well, what's your tricks on connecting with the audience? Because I've had a few people that have been lectures on it, and everybody's got their own kind of way because I don't know, do you have an hour person uh, time or what it is, but just to keep them engaged, especially now, you know, when they're on the phones. Yep. Well, no, and, and what we find is, so we had to go online back uh, probably about a year and a half ago or a year and a quarter ago. And what I always did was told my students, you know, we were on this journey. And for me, the storytelling piece is actually really important because the storytelling piece is how you actually get it across to them of how this applies. And I'm all about application. So teaching at university, I always say in the first lecture, there's myth, theory, and practice. Myth is what we believe the world to be. These are the stories. Theory is a logical explanation, but I take it to the practical side. Does this work or does it not work and how? 
I find storytelling, uh, uh, using uh, all these different methods and mechanisms. I mean, just to get the ice breaking happening, I'll throw activities, uh, I'll throw breakout rooms in class. I mean, in one of my college classes, it's a four hour lecture. In my other one, it's uh, two hours. So oftentimes it's like, okay, how do you keep the audience entertained? So that's where you throw in, you know, things like, doing a, a simple thing as, you know, what is your wrestler name? Your, because we talk about identity. So what's your wrestler name? The color of your shirt is your first name. The thing immediately to your left is your second name. And your favorite food that you like to eat is your signature move. And I said, for example, back then when I did this, I was the, the, the blue book and my signature move was the sushi. And I am going to roll up my opponents and I am going to dip them in wasabi and just make it sting. And my students, even though virtual, they started laughing. I could not even keep up with the chat when I asked them, okay, go tell me who you are. And they had a lot of fun with this, but we related it back to identity. I use a lot of uh, descriptors. So when we talk about perceptions, for example, I'll throw a picture of the ocean up and you know, I say, describe one word and only one word. And then you get all these various words and then we go into this whole idea of perspectives and whose perspectives are right. But just the fact that you now engage them because of the fact that you've given them an activity, whether it's role play, you share a story with them. One of the really, uh, when I get my feedback pieces that always amaze me, they said one of the favorite things we had was every lecture, the second slide in, is a signature quote or two, some life meaning lessons. They said, Sam, that provided me the inspiration and motivation that I needed outside of this classroom. And finally, the last thing I do to keep connected with my students is the fact that I make myself approachable. So even though we're in um, COVID times, the university has shut down, we're going live in class in uh, September. I told my students, listen, I'm coming up July 24th, which is a Saturday. We'll sit outside uh, in, a, in the area in front of the library, which is covered. We'll grab tea, have a conversation. And then I'm gonna give you a tour of the campus because many of these students have never been on the campus and they're nervous because they're gonna come in September. So just making yourself ac uh, uh, approachable, accessible, they really connect with you and they stay with you. I've got people I've mentored and coached 20 years ago. It's been about 5,000 conversations to date. I'm still connected to all of these people and they reach out even five, 10 years after we haven't even communicated. So it's about approachability. It's about if you're having fun in the class yourself, they're bound to have fun as well. So those are some of the things that I would share. Brilliant. Though I always like to know the speaker's journey. You know, when you're born, you didn't come out, you know, competent speaker. Just to, how, how were you growing up? Uh, although my mom would say, man, this kid growing up when he was a little kid just couldn't shut up. And, uh, and it was interesting because I, I, you know, when I was a, a toddler and whatnot, I just kept talking. And then I think what happened is this loss of confidence. I got into this high school and all of a sudden I just seemed to disappear amongst the crowd and I became awkward, shy and quiet. But also to that point, this is why I share with my students that, you know, in high school and then even in early rounds of university, I was awkward, shy and quiet, blended into the background. And slowly emerged out of university because they started making you do presentations. 
And what was interesting about it is I was terrible at it. I, you know, I just remember I would, I would say lots of ums and ahs and just stand there and shake a little bit. And it was one of those things of, you know, suddenly somebody said, oh, you know, Sam, we have an event. Uh, would you be able to speak at this event? And I was like, okay, here's where I have to make a decision. And I said, okay, I'll do this. And do you know what? I did the event and it was terrible. Like everything that you would worry about as a speaker, I probably did in that whole session. Now, this is where I had to make a decision. I tried it once, didn't like it, never again. Or, okay, I tried it once, will the next one be a little bit easier? And sure enough, somebody who fortunately never saw me in the first presentation or that I did, said, oh, I heard you spoke at a place. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, do you want to speak at our event? And it wasn't a huge event, but I said, okay. Do you know what? It was that much easier, but it was still terrible. And, you know, that's how it started to progress. And eventually you became more and more comfortable, confident, and especially when it's on topics that really resonate with you, you find that it really uh, helped to remove that. And then you launch yourself. Now I speak for a living and I tell my students in class, you may be nervous, especially those introverts. And I really feel for them because they feel they're destined for a life that's in a back room somewhere in a cupboard area, never to be seen, never to be heard. And I said, you know, never worry about that. Like I said, I was awkward, shy and quiet. Here's what my journey is. And telling the story provides a little bit of relief for them and helps them to build a little bit of confidence because they're like, wait, if he did this from a point of really feeling uncomfortable, I guess there's something I can do here. And you slowly get them to develop. And I think, again, it goes back to, I think the journey, everything on my journey, and I've always said obstacles are the necessary bricks on a road to success. You have to embrace the obstacle. So if I fell down face first and flat on my face uh, after doing this talk, first talk, well, it's an obstacle. And But what did I learn from this? And it helps you to keep going, but you have to keep moving no matter what happens, just keep moving. And like, you know, 45 uh, nonprofits, that's, uh, that's impressive. But like say the marketing side of it, because a lot of people, you know, they overcome the speaking side, but then they want to get the paid side. So how did you get into the you know, start making a few shillings for what you were doing. Well, it, it was because I think the clarity of it happens. Uh, I think that we have to move both our thoughts and ideas career-wise, but even from a speaking standpoint of what to who. And what I mean by this is we're not defined by what we do or what we talk about. We're defined by who we are. And it's all about really understanding who you are and working on that personal brand piece. Again, one thing I share with my audience is, is, let's say it's a beautiful sunny day. You need to go buy a pair of flip-flops today. Now there's a corner store and Starbucks. The corner store sells food, lottery tickets, coffee, fried chicken, hardware, pretty much everything is crammed into that store. And then you go to Starbucks now, if you had to buy a pair of flip-flops, would we buy it from Starbucks? And the answer is, of course not, because we know that they are uh, tea, coffee, food-related items. The corner store, maybe. And, you know, so you really need to start becoming that brand that people recognize, because a lot of the speaking opportunities, 
I hardly do any marketing myself. They come to me because they've heard about the, they've seen it either on YouTube, they've seen a podcast, they've heard from a, a, being in the audience of a conference I spoke at. So it's about being that brand like a Starbucks, which is really focused and guided. So I talk about things like storytelling, personal branding, um, education. So there are topics that I'm very comfortable speaking with and that I can really immerse myself and engage the audience. For example, tomorrow I'm delivering a workshop on effective communication skills. But now people may argue, but isn't it better to be the corner store where you provide everything and anything to anyone? And I said, it's true, but they don't know, like people want to be directed to exactly to what meets their needs. They don't want to be fishing around and saying, well, can you talk about this? Can you do this? What they want is, okay, here's Sam. He can talk about these different things. And you know what? We even have his uh, two TEDx speeches and uh, various YouTube things or uh, conference pieces. Yeah, that's the person we need because we've, we've seen this or we know that that's what he's capable of doing. So you got to be more directed. And you'd be amazed at how all of a sudden your personal branding, your all your social media channels seem to align when you start focusing on who you are and what you're able to provide the audience. We say jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, goes so, back to that. Yeah, so that makes sense. And I know that uh, you do blogs as well. You've, you've been yep. blogged. So did you find, was that kind of before kind of the speaking or was it during and has it yeah. helped you? Oh, totally. I mean, the idea is that the, the blogging, I think I've got about 170 blog posts now. And the idea is, I, I, you know, for me, this is how I mentor myself, because through my writing. But oftentimes, then people can actually go in and see, okay, he's written a blog about this and this. And they're pretty well directed towards career development, uh, life experiences, personal branding. So there's a, a lot of this. And what happened is, uh, I found that as you got comfortable in speaking, or as I got comfortable in speaking, I was asked to do my first TEDx speech. And that was in 2011. And I chose to talk about personal storytelling. And then after I finished doing that, people said, you should write a book about personal storytelling and how I can now write stories as well. Like, uh, you know, use it as a mechanism to help people tell their stories. And that's where the blogging started because then it was like, okay, there's a, another avenue and a way for me to help the audience gain their confidence and uh, capacity to then be able to share. And that's where I think the blogging happened after I did my first TEDx speech. And it just always provides me ideas and thoughts and ways that I can just share on different mechanisms. But I encourage people, and it doesn't mean you have to go blog, but I really do believe in journaling because by journaling, you capture the things that are happening around you. I think we just go on a, like we're on a train and we're heading to a destination, but we're not paying attention to the view around us while we're going to the destination. It's the things around us that we should be capturing. And that's where what I did was in my first TEDx speech, I talked about personal storytelling and I, I always like to make things simple for people. And I said, Carpe is the sim uh, simplest way I can describe storytelling. And Carpe, like Carpe Diem, but Carpe stands for curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspectives, experience. If you go through that process, you're going to gain the confidence of that storytelling piece. 
and the and they go into more details for each one of those but the reason why storytelling i think is so important as a speaker is you never have to memorize a story you just get up and if i was to ask someone okay tell me about the uh you know a childhood experience you had when you were growing up in your respective country well you don't have to research this and you can say oh let me tell you about the time and then they give you the story and that confidence emerges because storytelling is should be easier. And that's what the hope was for my first TEDx speech. Excellent. And what I, because I actually watched it and I enjoyed it. And um, what, what I noticed is you had a few props. Sometimes people don't use props well. You've done it very well because you brought them into the story and it wasn't immediate either. It was kind of, kind of further down the line. Yeah. No. And I think um, props are, are hugely beneficial because it just, takes away for a moment from the speaker and the attention goes to, okay, what's he gonna share here? Uh, for example, I'm gonna share something and I do this and I'll just give you an example of how powerful this is. So I carry with me puzzle pieces. There's a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. And I use this in my conferences and, and talks because I say, this is ordinary. I'm gonna make it extraordinary right before your eyes. I'm gonna transform it. And people are like, okay. And I said, okay. What can you do with one piece? And they're like, well, not much. I said, but this is what you feel like. You feel like that single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. You don't know where you fit in. Uh, equally at the same time, you don't know what the bigger picture is. But here's how I'm gonna make it extraordinary because my satchel carries these puzzle pieces. If I give you a piece of my puzzle, do you realize my puzzle cannot be finished? It will always be incomplete without you. Do you realize how important you are to me? And it's amazing. I see the transformation on their face. I get people lining up at conferences saying, Sam, I need a piece of this jigsaw puzzle. But that's an example of how using these tools really hammers home because now what happens is they've got this image of a puzzle piece. And five, 10 years later, I have people contacting me saying, Sam, I still have your puzzle piece. I've given about 5,000 pieces in the world to date. And people have it taped on their mirror. They're saying, it reminds me every morning someone told me how important I am. It uh, has traveled the world in backpacks and they tell me and they show me with the picture of where they are in the world or little curio boxes. But it's also something that meant so much to people because I've also heard from people who went through very difficult times in their lives. And they say in the deepest, darkest moments of my depression, I found that puzzle piece and it reminded me how I'm connected to you. And it just made me feel that much closer to you. And you actually helped pull me out. It's a powerful thing, but it's a simple tool. And that's where I like to share with people what, and if this becomes part of my brand, but, but what is it that you, you could do that becomes your signature using these objects? I love that. That's, uh, that's beautiful. And just, is it two uh, TEDx you've done or the one? Two. So you might like, because a lot of people, they want yep. to do it or whatever. The preparation, because yep. you know, it's typically 13 to 18 minutes. So how much preparation? How did you, you know, yeah. do? because it was very good to be honest. I know when I watched it, you know, you, you know, you really done done it very well. You know, connected Thank with you. the audience. So. No, I appreciate that. And you know, it's always interesting because when I have to now deliver a workshop or something, I don't prepare. Like in other words. Uh, I had to speak at a conference in Zimbabwe, uh, Bahrain, or India. It, I build the presentation in the airport. 
and unrehearsed, I get up there and I deliver it. And a lot of it is because what I do is I have images and the images I just glance at and all of a sudden I know what I need to say here. But with uh, the two TEDx's, the first one was interesting because I, I never rehearsed, but for this first TEDx, I was like, oh man, I have to do this just, I have to do it solidly. I have to do this right. And I practiced and practiced and practiced. And it turned out, you know, I thought it turned out okay. And, uh, but the idea was that I knew exactly. And I, they said 15 minutes maximum. I, I shot for 14 minutes and about 10 seconds, just in case there was, I forgot a, something as a message or something like that. But then the other part of it, the second TEDx speech I did, that one I didn't rehearse, but I used my PowerPoint because again, it was more like I knew what the image was. I knew what I needed to share. And I just did a couple of dry runs with it to see how long the speech was going to be. But this is also where, you know, you can never panic because one of the things, and here's just another prop I'll use as an example. These are my 86 rejection letters when I graduated from university. And, you know, so, but I shared this in my second TEDx speech. First one was on storytelling. The second TEDx speech was how do you activate the voice within to be louder than the noise around? Meaning, you know, who are you versus what you're going to do? And I remember I had these letters in this nicely bound thing, 86 rejection letters. And as I pulled it out, they just scattered. And instead of just missing, it sort of suddenly saying, oh man, okay, what do I do now? When they fell to the floor, I said, oh, I guess this is where they belong, you know? And all of a sudden, you know, the audience laughed and, you know, and, and I think this is where you got to think on your feet and, you know, where no matter what happens, you know, it's, uh, it's your talk and, you know, you build your presence, build your brand. Uh, there are times where you can apply for TEDx speeches. And then there are times where people would be like, oh, you know, I've, I've heard you speak, you should apply. Or they'll say, you know, we'd like to have you as a speaker on our TEDx. The two TEDx's I never even applied. They approached me and said, we'd like you to speak. So uh, for your audience members, it, it really is what are you comfortable with? I know some people would prefer to be scripted uh, in the sense of knowing exactly word for word what they want, but the challenge becomes you may suddenly forget a line and then that just stops you dead because you're trying to remember what's your next line. Or have an idea of what you want to say, go through it and practice it so that you're within that time frame. One thing I always tell my when, when I share about speaking is, respect the time of your hosts. If they say 15 minutes, don't make it 25 minutes. They say 15, try to be around that range. Uh, and uh, that's where I think from a speaking standpoint, and there's two books that I highly recommend anybody who wants to do a TEDx speech, or even if you make it to that TED stage. One is Talk Like Ted by Chris Anderson, who actually is the founder of TED. And the second one is uh, The Storyteller's Secret by Gallo. And it, it, it's how you build stories into your speaking. And I found both books were very helpful. And like what you said, because I've seen people mainly in the Toastmaster circuit, but mm -hmm. in like, you know, they rehearse word for word. And if something like that happened, it would throw them so much when they're, you know, they're basically, the way I see it is it's like going through the alphabet and you just automatically forget <laughs> it. And then you have to go back to the start. Whereas I'm the same, I, I, can, I can't, I uh, can't, you know, do a speech right off. I just, I just flow. I, I, I know my intro and I know what I'm going to talk about and I know what I'm going to, you know, conclude. And I think it's so much better. And I think that's the, the reason 
that you were able to, you know, make it look like it was part of the plan. <laughs> no, definitely. And, you know, the doorstop and, you know, just using something, you know, and, and trying to invoke a little bit of the humor. But again, with humor, you always have to be careful uh, that it could fall flat on your face. Or like I said, but it could be something as natural as when those letters drop to the floor. And I just looked at them and I go, okay, I guess that's where they belong. And then it just allowed me to then carry on. And, uh, you know, that's where I think people need to realize things may go wrong. And, you know, and it always amazes me that when I get my students to do their presentations and I ask them, so how did it go? They're like, well, it was okay, but you know what? I forgot to do this. I forgot to mention this. I forgot that. And I said, no, 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 don't tell me any of this stuff. I don't know that you forgot it. You might, but don't tell me about that. Tell me what you did well. Tell me what, uh, how did it feel and all of that. But I always like how they say, the first thing is, here's what I forgot. But as a listener, I don't know what they forgot. It's their speech. So I try to get them to start thinking of it from another perspective. And I think, I mean, I know I did that at the start. It's like, you know, because I recorded all of them. I was always looking at what I'd done wrong. And then I'd, you know, because I'd say, I'd like to talk about ABCD. And I, oh, I forgot about it. And you're kind of a, that was important. But as you say, nobody knows. And the most important thing is, did the audience enjoy it? Did you actually have a decent message? You know, that, and like, well, we well, beat no, ourselves it, up. But it also means that, oh, if they contact me, at least I've got something else to give them besides just, yeah, that was it. <laughs> Always leave them wanting more. <laughs> exactly. So you, you've spoken in different countries, yeah? So I have. Yeah, so how, how did you adjust for that? Because, you know, you mentioned maybe sometimes doing a joke. Did you, you know, what, what things did you notice with the different countries? Yeah, I mean, part of it, I think the worst thing is the jet lag. That's the main thing. I think it took me... 40 hours from my house to the hotel to Zimbabwe and I was only there for three days and then <laughs> took off to South Africa. So you really have to be on, on board. With regards to uh, if you are going to go abroad, try to research. Uh, you want to make sure that you're not obviously going to offend people. You want to make sure that uh, I always take the safe route in any country that I visit to make sure that it's more the messaging and oftentimes when I'm speaking it's it, it could be to a younger audience anywhere from let's say 15 to 40 or 40 years old and oftentimes what I'm providing them is real solid life lessons and there may be the odd joke or something I throw in there but generally it's a much more uh, not as serious as in uh, the death tone type of thing but it's much more you know speaking from a standpoint of personal development here, I'm doing this because this is important for you, you know, but if I'm talking to a, a different audience, you know, there are times where I'll be adding more humor, but I'd say research the countries because you, you want to make sure that you don't want to obviously do anything either political, religious. Um, you don't want to do anything that uh, may offend your audience, uh, any number of things, but, you know, keep it solid to your messaging and you know, make sure that you don't steer too far away from that. So I noticed you mentioned the, your book. So you might tell us what what entail what what kind of encourage you to actually start writing this book. Yeah. Uh, so there were two books. One is on personal storytelling, and that was out of my first TEDx speech. But that was to help people write and tell their stories. And I remember what I shared in there in the beginning is 
uh, with regards to what's the last story you read? What's the last story you told? But what's the last story you lived? And that last one is really the more important one because we're all living stories. The second book I wrote was about my journey to find my ancestral roots in India with a faded photograph, very little information. But it was also about finding my own identity of who I am. And the second book is Lost and Found, Seeking the Past, Finding Myself, because it was about a generation lost, ancestors or, or uh, relations that are lost. But I thrive in ambiguity and uncertainty. I'm glad it wasn't an easy journey to go just get off the plane, get on, a, you know, find a map and then get to this village and find my grandfather's house. It was a difficult struggle. And but equally, it becomes a really great story because it's about persistence, overcoming obstacles, not listening to the noise. And also how I found my own personal identity as a British born Canadian with parents from Fiji, grandparents from India, how I now can be more accepting of what my background is. It was one of those, um, writing is interesting because there's two parts to it. The first part is really difficult, writing the book. The second part, equally difficult, getting the book out there uh, into the hands and, and the public. Writing is one of those pieces where you need to create that framework. And it's very much like you're speaking. You create a framework and you start filling it in with everything. The first book on storytelling, it was one of those, I had to write it from scratch. And then I broke it down to what is storytelling? Why tell stories and the importance of it? Second part is, well, I'm gonna share my stories and the relevance of this using that carpe principle I talked about earlier. And the third part is, how do I get you to write stories using all of these various tools? So I had to create that from scratch. Whereas Lost and Found was more chronological. It's more of a travel memoir, which, on the one hand, it, it, it seemed easier to write, but it was more difficult because of the fact that you had to throw in descriptors and senses and uh, you know the, the experiences that you really had. The benefit is now lost and found, I think that we may actually be trying to see if, or I may be trying to see if there's maybe a screenplay here uh, because it's a beautiful story that just needs to be shared. And um... You're a career coach as well? Yeah, uh, I'm a career coach. I do about three to eight conversations a week. Um, and it's been about 5,000 conversations. But the audience is generally the 15 to 40-year-olds. But I also mentor and coach senior executives as well. But I found that 15 to 40-year-old audience is very lost. And, you know, they're, they're so focused on what do I need to do? What do I need to be? I peel that away and I say, no, no, let's find out who you are. And in my class, I make every single student write a personal statement. And it's interesting because they're like, man, this is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is write a personal statement about tell me who you are, but not in a resume format. But I find that the mentorship and coaching, if it's like a one-off, I do it pro bono. I don't charge people for that, uh, you know, if I can support them. But if somebody is looking for a much more structured plan, to say, okay, let's let's lay down some foundations. Let's work to a, a, a point here. Uh, then I make it affordable coaching. So I'm not uh, I'm not here to say, okay, you are going to have to buy five sessions. And a session, how long is that? People are like, yeah, no. I've had people pay me because we talked for an hour and a half. They pay me 
one and a half times the amount that I put down. And I said, well, why'd you send me this? And they're like, well, we talked for an hour and a half. I said, no, no, I like to talk. I'm not charging you for me talking. So I said, no, no, next time we'll just do it. So we balance it out. Again, it's all about this idea. And maybe I'm just a bad business person. But again, I like to put the person, the talk, uh, the nonprofit ahead of the funds. That's not the most important thing to me. I mean, I fortunately, you know, comfort, uh, I've got the things around me. But equally, I find that it makes you more authentic. And it also means that people are coming to you because they're like, okay, he's doing this for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons. Absolutely. No, I definitely believe. And you know, you say you do some pro bono and now you're helping different things to nonprofits and everything, even though you know you could get a lot more on speaking engagements, but I think it comes around and that's yeah. why people are contacting you, you know, yeah. because of that, because people appreciate it, they see it. And you know, sometimes there's people they're faking it, they're pretending, and it's it's a different thing. And you can see through that. Yeah. I, I know that one of the things as well is like uh, the kind of no limitations, you know, the mental side of it. You might just talk on that because I think that, that kind of affects a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I think that what happens is people go in with this attitude or this idea of, okay, what's, uh, they're looking at the obstacles. They're looking at, you know, what are the things that are going to happen that are, that are falling, that could fall. And I, and I've had people approach me and they're like, okay, so, uh, I don't know. I don't think I can do this. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about this. I said, what's the worst case scenario here? Does anybody die or get hurt as a result of you doing this? And they're like, well, no, of course not. I said, amazing. Okay, let's go now. Let's, let's see how do we get you where we need to go? Because nobody's going to get hurt or die here. And then they suddenly smile and they're like, yeah, you know what? But it's also, have you packed your parachute properly? Because I think sometimes we are so fearful but of the unexpected that you know we are not prepared or we we are somewhat prepared but we're not confident in it our capacities and capabilities i mean i left a corporate job where everything said you should not leave great wages great benefits pension government work stability you love your job and if you leave you don't have a job and everybody said sam you're making the biggest mistake of your life every single person around me family members friends not one person supported me but I wound up taking the leap of faith. And uh, there were two words, uncertainty and comfort. Comfort is what society wants us to have, but comfort is where we stop growing. I stopped growing. And uncertainty, you know what? They can move me where they want in the organization. That's uncertainty. By leaving, there's uncertainty because I don't have a job. But you know what? I control my uncertainty. No one else does. And I, left, I took the leap off of this cliff into the abyss. Two months later, I wound up getting a job working on the Olympic bid to get the games to Vancouver. And it was the most amazing project I worked on. And after that, it was working at the university. But the idea though is, it, again, I didn't take a leap of faith just without knowing what the next things were gonna be. I had already talked about what's my parachute, the people around me who aren't gonna let me fail, the experiences that I've gained that are going to help carry me through this. And I think, again, through self-reflection and talking to the people around you, you start building this level of, of confidence, but not cockiness, but this confidence to say, you know what, I can do this. Because there are people like me, they're not going to let me fall. They're going to do what they can to help me. So I am, I, and I will say that 
I am one of the anomalies. I mean, I thrive in ambiguity and uncertainty. And I can appreciate that that's not what people want. But equally, little doses of it can be invigorating. Me, I'm just a career cliff jumper. If I see something and I'm like, okay, time to jump again. And uh, even talking to my dad yesterday, he said, you know, I'm not worried about, you know, if you leave the university and uh, wind up going in a totally different direction. He says, uh, you've proven yourself, you land on your feet. But I think we just need to keep building that confidence within us and really understand the net worth that we have in you know, what we've accumulated and what we've done. And again, another quote that I always share with people is that when you hold on to the wall because you're afraid to let go, you let go of your dreams. But when you let go of that wall, you are going to realize your dreams because the wings of experience and people around you are going to carry you where you need to go. That's how, how I would share that. Beautiful. And uh, like, you know, you mentioned 15 to 40 year olds, because what I've noticed just from talking to different people, sometimes people go into a career because their parents pushed them in that direction, yeah. accountant, solicitor, different things, and they hate it. So when they come to you and they're actually after spending five to 10 years study in a profession, maybe worked another 10, but they hate it. How, what's the best conversation to have with them? Well, and what I always share with them is, okay, you, you've told me what you do. Let's put this aside. If money was no object, what would you do? And oftentimes they talk about something totally different. And I said, okay, but it doesn't mean we're going to go there right now. But I always say, what are the five things that guide and direct you in life? Five things. So for me, those five I shared at the outset, servant leadership, story sharing, activator, igniter, champion enabler, and community do-gooder. I always say, in order to have a solid life and career, what's your solid foundation? To build a house, you need a foundation. To build a life, you need a foundation. But we have never dedicated our time to this life foundation. So I start asking them, Tell me one thing that you are not willing to compromise life and career. And it's life and career, not just career. And they'll give me one. I said, okay, the present job you have, does it provide you the satisfaction of that one? And they're like, no. Okay, what's missing? Now I start asking more inquisitive questions. What I try to do is get them to come up with the five things that are really important in their life, because now you have something that you've, as a framework, that you can now look at what you're presently doing. Maybe it hits two out of five. Okay, to make it three out of five, is there something in the office that you can do that'll increase it to three out of five or four out of five? And if the answer is no, is there something outside of the organization that you could do as an outlet and you're, you know, uh, or is there a course and a program that you can now start focusing on that's gonna elevate you to another place? But it's all about, helping them realize that they need a solid foundation and helping them then move forward from the solid foundation. And I always say as well, because even just uh, two days ago, I had a conversation with someone who said, man, I just wasted two years of my life uh, in engineering because I want to be in business. And I said, okay, so when you were in engineering, you learned nothing. You just sort of sat there, put your head on the, on the desk and slept. And he was like, well, no, I mean, I learned. And I said, perfect. Anything and everything we do, there are lessons to be learned. And being an engineer, you've got a different framework or a different way of thinking that's going to help you. But let's activate that, uh, that education muscle. What did you learn as a result of being this engineer? And I think that 
I think, uh, again, what happens is people just look at the here and now, and they can always tell you what they don't like about the job. What is it that you might be okay with or that, that actually you do enjoy? And let's talk, talk about it. A lot of what I do is conversations. And oftentimes I, what happens is uh, I wrote a blog post. It was had to do, have to do, want to do. The first job out of university, corporate, uh, it, your pay, benefits, culture, none of this matters. You take whatever you can get because you need experience. Five, 10 years later, now I'm having conversations with people. What do I have to do to get to my want to do? And when you nail five out of five, you don't have a job or career, you actually hit fulfillment. Uh, my second TEDx speech actually talks about the five core elements and how you work on that. And same with my blog posts. Uh, there was blog posts that I had about activating those five core elements and how do you go about doing it? Oh, excellent. Love it. Love it. And I, you know I'm Irish, so <laughs> you have some connection with the Irish. You might let us know about that. Yes, no, uh, I do have my solid Irish roots besides, uh, you know, the Jameson Irish whiskey. Uh, I played for 11 years in a military pipe band as a tenor drummer and a tenor drummer, the interesting thing, and it probably is very reflective of me because a tenor drummer, yeah, you are doing the beats, but it's also about the flares of the drumstick. And I guess that's what I am is all about the flare. Uh, but 11 years I spent in a military Irish military pipe band. There are five in the world and we were one of the five. And that was through the British Columbia Regiment here in Vancouver. Excellent. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Listen, Sam, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. How can people get in contact with you? Yeah, so I mean, main uh, way that you can learn about it is through LinkedIn. So you can always uh, check out the profile there and connect and send me a personal message if you want to connect. Uh, also, my uh, personal website, uh, that's where all of the blog posts and the, my writing and speaking is all there. And that's just www.sam-thiara, my last name, .com. And you'll find me there too. And Instagram, Twitter, all of those places. Excellent. Yeah, and I put all of them on the podcast description so people can get in contact. Thank you very much, Sam. Oh, thank you, Roy. And uh, all the best to your, your uh, listeners. And I just leave you with my favorite quote that I live by. Everyone's life is an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. Go out there. You're a living story. Let the world know you're, that you're a living story. Beautiful. Love it. <laughs> That's all for the Speaking Podcast. You'll find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com or on BitChute or on YouTube. Be sure to give us a thumbs up, five star rating, share with your friends. Until next week, take care. This podcast is sponsored by Kulabula, creators of websites, animation, and digital art. To get a 10% discount, go to kulabula.com and put in the discount code SPEAKING10.